why I first picked up a copy of Welcome to the Monkey House by Kurt Vonnegut, or what had compelled me to bring it on a family trip to Mexico in 1987. It's likely that my mother, an, an avid avoider of science fiction literature, was telling me to read the story Harrison Bergeron simply because it transcended its own genre limitations. The book was a collection of Vonnegut's short fiction that had appeared in magazines and other literary publications throughout the 1950s and 60s as Vonnegut's reputation grew as an author. Within the volume are 25 short stories that could easily qualify as some variation of sci-fi, comedy, mystery, adventure, and more. Vivid characters with names like Doghouse Riley jumped from the page. Vonnegut sculpted worlds of varying complexity and reality to tug at the strands of the human condition. Whether we found ourselves in a smoky piano bar, the deepest recesses of space, or in the compound of a maniacal dictator, Vonnegut ferries us through an ever-evolving tableau with humor and pathos. Welcome to the Monkey House became a Rosetta Stone of narrative, language, and humanity for my young mind. The stories opened a well of empathy and curiosity that had been dormant, just waiting to come alive. And Kurt Vonnegut set that flame alight within me with his empathy, his wordplay, and his wit. As fall began in the school of that year, I was turned on to a new video show by a neighbor. It was on MTV and it was called 120 Minutes. The show had begun airing late on Sunday nights in March of 1986 and aired music videos by underground and college rock bands like Depeche Mode, The Sisters of Mercy, Echo and the Bunnymen, and so many more. The show aired from midnight to 2 a.m. in the area where I lived, and as much of a night owl as I was, I often struggled to stay awake or awake enough to comprehend what I was seeing and hearing. So I quickly began taping the show each week on our VCR and would then re-watch it after school the following Monday. This archivism became a routine sometime during my sophomore year of high school. And by the time I began my junior year in the autumn of 1987, I had this routine down to a veritable science. One Monday afternoon in September of that year, I came home from school, grabbed a snack, and plopped down to watch the previous night's episode of 120 Minutes. I wandered into the living room to turn on the TV and the VCR. The screen popped on became a lit. The TV was still turned to MTV from the midnight prior. I opened up the VCR to ensure the tape had rewound to the beginning and started to push the tape back into its cradle to hit play and watch the show. But before any of that could happen, my attention had been pulled firmly and squarely and completely from the task at hand. I watched as a woman sat in a wooden kitchen chair and a man rested his head forlornly in her lap. Fireworks exploded across the screen in double exposure. The song itself was driven by an urgent snare drum, a distorted guitar ringing out in spare, arpeggiated chords, and the clean, high voice powerfully dedicating the tune to his love. Or so it seemed. This one goes out to the one I've 
The One I Love by R.E.M. struck all of the same chords for me as Vonnegut had a few months earlier. Here was what seemed to be a typical love song like you've heard a thousand times. But as Michael Stipe careens, this one goes out to the one I love, it's clear that something is amiss. This was a love that was acrid and unhealthy. The narrator refers to his love as a prop to occupy his time. It is the song of an abusive relationship and the ugly side of love. Yet when people heard it, they associated all of the same love song tropes, despite it being a song about love in a much more unconventional and much more damaging way. R.E.M. and Kurt Vonnegut had both taken long-established forms of art, the love song and the short story, and then turned them on their heads. They used wit and the subtle reversals of tropes to lend new meaning to stories that we thought we already knew. I was 15 years old and I had no idea what I wanted for a career, but I knew that I wanted my future to involve telling stories in unusual ways like this. Like Kurt Vonnegut and R.E.M., I longed to turn an art form upside down. I endeavored to make music that told stories and open up new ideas within those old forms. Better Off Like This was the last song I submitted for our sessions for the Ways to Hang On album. At first, it seemed the song might be too late. We already had 14 or 15 songs in the can, and while the track was good and we'd played it well from the offing, it seemed like a last-minute ad that was unnecessary. The song could easily be saved for the next album or just released as a single. But being very excited about the track and having the opportunity to record it ourselves with no additional costs for studio time, I pushed for us to record it, even if we didn't use it right away. Katie, the song's protagonist, is a 17-year-old high school senior working to support her and her tween brother, Isaac. Whip-smart, defiant, and fiercely independent, Katie plays the bad hand she has been dealt with steely determination and a keen observational eye. Their father has been out of the picture for the duration, and within the last year, their mother has split as well. Left on their own, they make ends meet while Katie works at a local bar and finishes her diploma. It's a threadbare existence, but their lives have been improved by one other subtraction, the exit of their mother. With an eye on being a writer, Katie takes in all of the goings-on at her local watering hole gig. She and Isaac subsist on the cheapest of foodstuffs and make their way to school, work, and the store through a series of bus stops and interminable walking. Much like Vonnegut's short stories or the one I love, I wanted to take a situation that seemed dire and see it as a step forward. Sure, a mother has abandoned her children, but Katie is far more equipped to be a mother to Isaac than her own mother ever was. Over my career selling graduation announcements and caps and gowns, I met so many kids that were succeeding in spite of the world in which they lived. These were kids that slept in cars, floated on random couches, and wondered where their next meal might come from. All the while, so many of these students were, and still are, excelling academically and athletically. I learned about kids overcoming long odds and living in terrible circumstances who were going on not only to graduate high school, but to enter college, win scholarships, and enter the workforce. These were kids thriving in abhorrent conditions. All of these stories elicited a sympathy or an admiration from those that heard it. And the default setting seemed to be that one might marvel at how a mother might leave her child as Katie has been left. What we don't often see or cannot see is that in some moments, kids like Katie are truly better off like this. Better off without a parent to get in the way and make things even harder. 
It's an awful reality in our world, but some folks are just not capable of being involved parents. It's hard to know if this will become the trauma that makes Katie successful in her life, or if it will be a coping mechanism that will saddle her with untold trauma that she will never truly overcome. Perhaps it is a bit of both. Katie is the heroine and the victim of our story, and that, that seems awfully Kurt Vonnegut. Now, without further ado, here is my Shedio Sessions version of the Stick Around's Better Off Like This. Thanks so much for being here. Cheers. Maddie C. One, two, three, four. Katie's taking night school classes a couple times a week. Always knows the answers and never speaks It's better no one knows she's a washed up geek Pouring daily doubles down Hanson's bar Trapped the Miller lights making cheap side cars notes down to put in her memoir There are no excuses It just is what it is And Katie says they're better off like Such a shame. Try to point at folks that they can blame. It's best not to treat life like a ball again. It's best not to treat life like a ball again. There are no excuses, it just is what it is.
ladies and gentlemen, another hot one from Matty C and his A.D. HD.